extraordinary adventures on distant worlds filled Spencer's imagination. Unfortunately, he was stuck on Earth. You are USDA choice dead meat. Little survival tip. Stay out of my way. Now, a kid who needs all the help he can get. That is so beautiful. I don't believe this. Is about to discover. What is this? Something out of this world. The Phase One Cyber Suit, the foremost in alien technology, and Spencer's new best friend. What do people call you? Phase One Assault Cyber Suit. How outside? Okay. I think it's time for a test drive. Delicately balanced. Graceful. Programmed to recognize dangerous life forms. Hostile biotic detected. Hey! From the producer of Free Willy. Defense system alerted. That's a bad guy, right? That's a bad guy. It's head crunching time. Comes the story of two friends who must join forces to save two worlds. Is this part of right? Jurassic Park's Joseph Mazzello, Star Kid. There's a new kid in town. Ow! Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pop Culture Historians. Sort of nearing the end of our uh, 90s superhero movie tribute. Uh, soon to become a 2000s and beyond a superhero tribute. Uh, my name is Ryan Ritter. I got Jimmy McShane on the line over there. Jimmy, how are you this week? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, all right, let's just jump right into uh, uh, our movie for this week. Again, we play this game where I, I feel like I have to lead up to it, even though everyone knows what it is when they clicked on it because it's in the title. But it's a movie that felt um, both foreign to me because I'd never seen it in yet kind of familiar um that's not necessarily a bad thing it's 1997 star kid oh, what's happening now oh it's just a bird warrior super drone nothing to worry about and we're gonna open this episode like we open every uh, every episode at least as far as we can remember to do it <laughs> we're not always so, yeah, yeah. We're not always the best at uh, providing summaries of the uh, movies that we watch. Sometimes they aren't needed, but something like this could, could use a nice little synopsis. And maybe a nice professional review just to get things started. And that leads us to Leonard Maltin's Movie Corner. This is where I bust out my 2010 Leonard Maltin's Movie Guide. We're going to look at his little capsule review. Jimmy, I think you explained the star system better than I do, but I'm going to give it a shot. It basically goes for the highest, and then it goes in half star intervals until you get to one star. But one star is not one star. It's bomb. Yeah, which I do find a little confusing. Bomb feels like it should be zero stars. But no, it is one star. One star is the lowest you can go. We call that a bomb. And then it's one and a half, two, two and a half, three, three and a half, and four is the best there is, I guess. The first thing I do when I become president is I'm going to nationalize. I'm going to unify star rating systems because people go out of 10, out of five. Sometimes you can do zero stars, sometimes you can't. It's a mess. 
but <laughs> that's that's for another time. Yeah, uh, we, we vote, need you know vote for us. Standard for means and and uh, measures. <laughs> exactly. No, it's a mess. It's a total mess. And we're just first. I don't know. I haven't looked at this one, so I can participate in this part of it too. We're going to predict what what he gave it. Jimmy, what do you think he might have given Stark? I think he gave it two stars. Might go two and a half, but I think I think we're in the. I bet we're in the ballpark. I'd be surprised if he went much higher. Right on the money, two stars. Very good. Uh, a, lo- <laughs> uh, a lonely boy finds a cyborg suit, superpowered alien armor, in a junkyard and has fun trying it out. Comic book like, but occasionally entertaining. <laughs> he kind of he kind of knocked that one out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like no one uh, gives a shit about this movie. Yeah, you know it, it's interesting because it is a movie that almost feels slightly forgotten. Uh, not a lot of behind the scenes stuff for this episode. Um, it's actually kind of a tough Google because there's like a band named Star Kid uh, that clearly paid its way through the not paid its way to the algorithm like in a bad way but like they've clearly done their work they pop up when you type in star kid um so kind of light on the details on this one but uh we'll start we'll continue jimmy what did you think of star kid? had you ever seen it before and if not what did you think of it i don't think i've seen it before but like you said it did seem familiar it's possible i've seen parts of it my memory of this movie is my dad being like, hey, you want to go see the Starkin movie? And me saying, no, not really. And then we went and saw a different movie. <laughs> um, uh, I thought it was fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, fine. It was, it was just like, it was fine. It wasn't like the train wreck that some of the other kids' movies we've seen have been, but there was also nothing really like exceptional about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a movie that evokes strong reactions. Is kind of what I've I've noticed. Uh, I also thought it, it was it's, fine. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's, it's competently made. It's kind of cliche. The robot was cool but not great. Uh, you know, it, it it felt familiar, likely because like it hit on several chords. You know, the the neighborhood bully was like such a generic bully, but of course he, he then became sympathetic, and they were friends at the end. You know, um, of course, his the girl he has a crush on loves the same superhero comic he does. Uh, right. You know, it, it, it just it's just like the the major beats of the story were just kind of like familiar. Yeah, and I couldn't tell how much of that was like intentionally like. Because I couldn't tell if it was like, because it was like just a cliche cookie cutter to get it out, or if it was like an intentional, because it felt a lot of the times like it was trying to capture, you know, the heyday of Spielberg was still kind of alive in the 90s, but I think it's it kind of almost explicitly looking for like that 80s Amblin kind of entertainment thing, especially down to like the music, which was kind of John Williams esque, but like not really. Um, and it kind of <laughs> felt like E.T here and there except there isn't really and like i don't know it just kind of felt like one of those spielberg adjacent projects except it, it had nothing to do with it and so i don't know if that's why it felt familiar because we've kind of seen part of it in other movies that all said i agree with you i think, think i do think it's better than 
some of the other like kid oriented things that we've seen because this is definitely like a kids movie right like this is yeah. like yeah it's no it's, I, it's explicitly a although i would argue this has a little more like clarity about it whereas like steel was a kids movie except when they wanted to make like certain jokes and then it became a little slightly more adult you know what i mean like um this one i think at least had a little more consistent like tone and direction as far as like it's a kid's movie explicitly for kids written about a kid um kind of a coming of age story yeah i think that's a good way of looking at it um yeah i would much rather if i were a uh, if i were a parent in the 90s i'd much rather my kid watch star kid than steal and maybe just for the sake of my own sanity it's 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 a it, they're, they're all they're all fine but like You'd almost pre- you'd almost prefer this over like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something, right? Because they're not gonna like go home and like try to act like Star Kid and like be a little wise ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, just to give perspective on my childhood, of the um, last I think three movies we've done, Spawn, Steel, and Star Kid, Spawn's the only one I saw in theaters. So, <laughs> oh, I. I, I I, I don't know how I would have processed that as a uh, as a kid. I just think that would have been so much for me. I I think I would have thought that the uh, the P- PlayStation One devil was like real. I think that like, that's like how detached from reality I, I would have been. Back then. I mean, you, the stuff you like sticks with you, and the stuff you don't like doesn't stick with like, or the stuff you don't understand doesn't stick with you. Like it's it's kind of weird watching this on movies as a kid. Like you, so much goes over your head. It's so true. It's so true. And, and as an adult sometimes too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, no, the movie's p- totally fine. In fact, there were some parts of it where I'm like, this, this is kind of like an underrated kind of slept on thing. I don't know that it really coalesces into anything, but you know, I think that families need to rent movies for like a Saturday afternoon sometimes. And I think that this kind of fits that bill. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's how most people saw this because it didn't. It didn't make back its moderate, but I mean, it cost twelve million to make. It brought home seven million. That's not great. But um, I have to wonder. Most people caught this on like video or something because the parent was like, "This sounds. This has a kid on it and a robot. Let's let's, let's do it." It's not. It really isn't bad. I, I um, I, I don't have. I don't really have this capacity to like dunk on it too much like we have with like Steel and Spawn and like, like the last ten movies we've done. It felt. It feels like <laughs> um. But it is kind of a hard. It's not a whole lot of meat to the bones, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. Do we think this is another question that kind of crossed my mind? Is do we think this is a superhero movie at all? Should this have been? I was wondering about that. Should um, we have stricken this from the record? I mean, we're it's, we're watching it. It's a, you're listening to the episode, so it's part of the it's part of the series. But looking back now that we've seen it, you know. So and so, I guess the the. Um... Let people, I guess not. We kind of divide the labor in this. You know, I'm, I'm the one who kind of looks, gets, you know, looks up the stuff for Doctor Who and sets that up, mm-hmm. and Ryan's the one who sets up the what stuff for, uh, um, for this uh, the superheroes. And of course, Doctor Who's easy because it's just a freaking show. Other than like the movies and stuff like that, but like in general, it's just a show, and I can kind of look ahead and find like the missing episodes and stuff like that, and help you out with that. You're the one who who has the task of finding superhero movies, which I think is actually a lot more difficult. So you have a more difficult task here. 
it's gonna um, it's gonna get easier like pretty soon because again we keep it to American release like major releases so like that kind of eliminates stuff like the Fantastic Four unreleased thing and Hulk TV movies and like weird Japanese Spider Man things but like yeah <laughs> I think especially in this period right here like it hasn't become an industry yet so it can be hard to tell especially if you haven't seen stuff and you see things listed right. as like superhero movie <laughs> so you trust that because Wikipedia wouldn't lie. But <laughs> so that's that's what happened here. Like uh, it was just kind of fell under this umbrella category. Yeah, there are there's some pretty good resources, and again, people's definition of a superhero movie is can vary from person to person. Some people just go all all comic book movies are superhero movies. So Dick Tracy's a superhero movie, and I don't agree with that. Um, or you know. Star Wars is a superhero movie. It's like, okay, no, no, we can't do, we can't, we can't, we can't. <laughs> but there are some, there are some sites that just kind of list it out the way we've been doing things. That's kind of how you catch some of these those smaller things that maybe um, don't have the audience that uh, they do now. That you know, that's how I found Swamp Thing. It, you know, it was a fairly big deal at the time, and then forty years have gone by, and you don't think about it anymore. And uh, but sometimes. You find yourself like a barbed wire, which <laughs> great episode, crazy movie. Superhero is a little that's that's kind of a stretch, and this is also kind of a stretch. I, I, mm-hmm. Another movie that gets mentioned as a superhero movie all the time is The Matrix, and we talked about doing that one, and decided that kind of falls more on sci-fi, which I, I I still stand by that. But you look at this and go, is this kind of more like a sci-fi kind of just robot movie <laughs> or alien movie? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a tricky one. We're doing it, so I'll go ahead and defend it. Um, I love it. Yes. You <laughs> how I'll defend it. It is a situation, right, where you have someone from Earth, which isn't necessarily a prerequisite for a superhero movie, but pretty much all of them involve that, getting access to superpower technology and using that to defend Earth from a superpowered threat. You know, I'll give you this too. The uh, the suit, especially like how it's filmed, because it's it's just this kid, right? It's a mm-hmm. Sp- Spencer Griffith is the name of the character, and uh, Joseph Vazello is the actor, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, he spends a lot of time inside the suit that he can't get out of, and it's like this like alien kind of robot suit. And the way it's kind of shot from his perspective, a lot of times, like this, you know kind of floating head kind of thing. It kind of reminds me of uh, Iron Man. And that's, you know, the way that they film Robert Downey Jr.'s head in, like, the suit. And, like, that's... So I think you can draw a line there. Like, the, the, yeah. if Iron Man's suit is a suit, and if he's a superhero, then uh, Stark is a superhero. For sure, yeah. Iron Man's the most obvious comparison. I haven't seen the movie yet, but from what I can tell from the trailers, Blue Beetle mm. might be an even better parallel. Um, I've not read any Blue Beetle. I'm, like, I'm not that familiar with the Blue Beetle character, but just like the more I can tell from the trailers of that movie, it seems a very similar concept. Yeah, or that's a good point. I haven't seen it either, but I, th- I, I, I bet you're onto something there. I mean, Green Lantern got his powers from an alien, you know. So getting powers from an alien isn't is you know is somewhat you know of a uh, superhero trope, right? Um, and you know, there's something to be said too. I think it, what, what also doesn't make it read as a 
superhero movie, even up to the point of the timeline that we're at, is that there's not a whole lot of like sequel bait or like comic because it's not, it's an original character, right? As far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure one of the last of those we're gonna get um, uh, for a while, if not at all. And you know, I I think it doesn't read as a superhero movie just because it doesn't have. I think it was just meant to be like a entertaining matinee thing get in get out uh, mm-hmm. i don't know if there's any like attempt really to do like a star kid too um unless they've done really well but right. this, this is basically just for tristar to kind of try different things and right so you know there's yeah. there's room for that kind of thing and that's that's cool like <laughs> there is last last argument i'll give for this being a superhero movie is they pretty explicitly reference superheroes periodically throughout the, mo- the movie, right? I mean, the censor mm-hmm. is um, influenced and inspired by a superhero comic book. Um, and so it is pretty explicitly, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's pretty explicitly... It's in, the, I mean, it's in that realm, right? It's yeah, it's, it's putting itself, it's referential, yeah. it's putting itself in that realm. And so I think there's certainly an argument for it. Um, we're already doing it, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty wild if, like, we concluded, like, it's not. And then we just, like, the episode ended right here. That, that was actually pretty <laughs> funny. But, um, yeah, it's, it's borderline. And, you know, the, in the 90s, the, uh, the, the genre is kind of dying. It's sputtering. Um, there really hasn't been a unequivocally like good movie that we reviewed in a while maybe like um the fan the phantom was okay phantom's good yeah. phantom's good but we I enjoyed be, the I, phantom but i, I, I don't mean, think i'd be like i saw this great movie it's called the yeah. phantom, you know what i mean like the phantom's the best you got if you're not doing well yeah um batman robin's memorable but you know like it's it's but it's mostly <laughs> mixed legacy there um uh, mostly, I'd say these have been financial failures, and that's just really important as far as the industry is concerned, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, there is sort of like this parallel, I think, as I'm 97 to like kind of the year we're in now, 2023, of like to sort of like this ramp down. I think, well, it's complicated because there's just, as of this recording, there's a strike going on. I suspect as of this release, there will still be a strike going on, but I think there's going to be a lot of way fewer superhero things in the, going into 2024 with maybe this resurrection in 2025 if James Gunn can get the DC thing in order and it's who knows so mm-hmm. there's some parallels here of like oh there's like these things that were kind of reliable and now all kind of just bombing and kind of <laughs> no one's really sure what to do um, and of course we know uh, a year after this stuff like Blade would come out and X-Men are a couple of years away so the, everything's all good after that yeah, X-Men, X-Men uh, may be saving Marvel again, but uh that's true. <laughs> that would be that would be kind of poetic. But yeah, other than that, I mean the movie is inoffensive. It's fine. Um yeah, it, it's competent, which is better than most of the movies we've seen so far. It doesn't been. doesn't make you seasick to look at. I'll give yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, it is competent. Directed by a guy that we know. He's done a lot of stuff. Manny Cotto. Uh, I know him primarily. 
he was the executive producer of the last four like full seasons of 24. So not including like that, like live another day or like the 24 legacy. So he did, he was the exec producer of five, six, seven, eight, which contains maybe some of the best of the show and some of the worst of the show. Um, yeah. He also, he also, you'll know, and then we can maybe talk about him a little bit. Um, He's the exec producer and showrunner of Star Trek Enterprise in its final season. And that was the best season of Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, there you uh, go. There you go. Yeah. Um, like, man, the first two seasons of Star Trek Enterprise were rough to get through. And it and the show doesn't have the same um, reputation as some of the other shows, right? Because, like, the first season of uh, Next Generation isn't very good. Right. But you're like... Okay, I know there's seven seasons and it's beloved, so it's gonna get better. Enterprise like, got canceled. <laughs> like, it, right, like, right, right. Enterprise didn't want to end after four seasons; it got canceled, uh, and so <laughs> uh, it had trouble finding audience. Which is too bad because like season four, in my opinion, was like what the show should have been from the start. It was like actually it was doing it was a little bit different from the other Star Trek. So it was actually kind of doing interesting things. I was enjoying what they were doing with the stories and the characters. Um, and it wasn't, they, they wasn't to be. Wasn't to wasn't be. To be. Uh, the series finale on Enterprise, by the way, horrible, yeah. absolutely terrible. Now it's not many Koto's fault because like other producers came by to like end it for them, and they like <laughs> That's so they weird. wanted they wanted it to kind of be like the finale of like all the '90s Star Trek, even though Enterprise is in the 2000s. They uh-huh. kind of like so they like brought back like Riker from next gen and like <laughs> then made the whole thing like a flashback but, like Riker was the main character <laughs> yeah, and then it, which because you know the concept of Enterprise that takes place like it's like before it's supposed, the original series yeah it was like, like, yeah. like what the Enterprise like the original crew of the Enterprise or something right or something no, 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 like like 100 years before like this is the first manned space mission got it got it okay yeah, but- yeah humans finally got like the key to like traveling interstellar from the Vulcan and they're like, this is the first one. There's no prime directive yet. Like they're still figuring shit out, which interesting idea, but they, in my opinion, they didn't really start like, they had a couple episodes in the first season where they did something with that. But in general, it kind of felt like it was trying to be the original series, but they didn't, whatever. But that way without the original cast, right? Which is not a good idea. This is not a Star Trek Enterprise uh, podcast, but he did take over, and I think he did some of the really most interesting stuff with it. So, you know, it's too bad he didn't get more time with it. And yeah, the, that series finale sucked. Um, they also randomly like like killed one of the characters. Like, why? <laughs> this is the last freaking episode. Why are you just like killing off someone for no reason? Um, so it was just it was just like oh man, it was just. I, I love I love disastrous series finales. Um, <laughs> especially when they don't have to be like it's understandable it's like this thing's been on like death's door for like five years it doesn't matter but like i don't know it felt like a show that was kind of on its way up a little bit and then there's quality one i don't yeah. remember about the ratings i mean probably probably not probably wasn't doing grand ratings probably struggled to find an audience i would say uh early on and then season three they tried something different it was kind of interesting but it also i didn't really like it um anyway yeah uh, so yeah, I mean, I think but he's confident with, is our point. He's, he's confident. confident, yeah. And I, something I will say for like Enterprise and also Twenty Four, what's interesting about those is he's kind of a risk taker, I'd say. 
Whereas here, sure. this movie feels very safe. Yeah, I can speak to the 24 sides of things because really, and I know that it's, if it sounds like we're avoiding talking about Star Kid too much, it's because, you know, there's only, there's only so much to be said about it. And I think we'll have some, I have some, I have some loose thoughts about some of the cast members and there's a whole segment about the cast coming up. But I understand what you mean about like the risk taking because it's kind of like the uh, double-edged sword of 24 is that they don't, they by design never really planned ahead more than a few episodes, which could be exciting because then it causes them to kind of come up with crazy cliffhangers and blow characters out of the, out of that corner that they painted themselves into in really interesting ways. Like season five. I think season five is a perfect example of like risk-taking gone well. And season six is like risk-taking gone horribly wrong. In episode four, like a bomb goes off and blows up like Los Angeles. It's like, well, now what? <laughs> like you have 20 more hours of television to like... Right, and, and, and their answer was like, well, let's make Jack's family a bunch of terrorists. Like, what? Yeah, it's like, yeah, here, here's Jack's brother. Like, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> but yeah. you're right. There's at least like a boldness, even when it fell flat on its face. And it's interesting that this is all pretty cookie cutter, but also proceeds, this movie proceeds all of that by like 10 years. So maybe it's, maybe he's like, just, he had to cut his, you know, cut his teeth on these things. And was able to kind of get his hands on more exciting properties and do stuff with them. I say, I should mention, I think he passed away like not that long ago. Oh, like, he passed? I didn't know that. Okay. He died last, I mean, as of this recording, he died last month, July 9th. He like, he just died. So I'm glad we said lots of positive things about him because <laughs> I would have, I would have felt really crummy, but um, yeah, he, I'd say he's not the problem with this movie. There is no problem with the movie. The movie's fine. It's, <sighs> The problem with the movie might be lack of ambition. It never really wanted to make its stamp in any meaningful way. Yeah. It's, all, it's almost intentionally forgettable, which I don't think is which I don't think is a positive. I would agree. It almost feels destined to be a movie that so, like someone is trying to remember. Like if uh you know like the <laughs> on the tip of my tongue subreddit, are you familiar with that? Uh no, but I can guess. Yeah, it's just people going like, I saw a movie, like I saw, like I heard a song, and it kind of went like this, and it, it, you can kind of record your voice, kind of humming things. Uh, or I remember a commercial with like a blue guy in it, and usually people are pretty sharp. This feels like the prime example of something that would be on there. It's like I remember there being like a alien suit, like the kid from Jurassic Park was in it, and like he had a pee. Yeah, he had the. Pee. There is there is some odd stuff. Like there's yeah. a, and it works, so you don't really question it. But there's like one, there's like a whole segment in this movie. It's like 20 minutes where the main conflict is Spencer has to pee really bad. <laughs> it's a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, it is. I mean, even like the uh, mythology stuff where they get into like the alien war and stuff is all pretty kind of kind of snooze because um, it's all just stuff you've heard before a million times, and the movie kind of stops in its tracks to explain those things instead of baking it in to like dialogue or character or anything. So that stuff is, doesn't very good. Agreed. Should we just get into the cast? Yeah, let's get into the cast. So the kid at the top, Joseph Mazzello. Check it out. I'm Shaquille O'Neal. You mentioned it before. Most famous role is probably Jurassic Park. He's like the male grandson. Um, As a kid who loved Jurassic Park, I 
identified with his character in that movie. It's a great, it's a great character, and it's, it's a great. He's the one who's like uh, obsessed with Doctor Grant, right? He's like, yes. yeah, yeah, so good. And of course, the, and of course, all that I've actually read the book. All that is Steven Spielberg. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at yeah, all. Grant in the in the book, like he he, he doesn't like hate kids or anything like that. Do you? Um, you know, that, that's a that's a kind of a dramatic tension that Steven Spielberg. I assume it was Steven Spielberg. Somebody put in that. It's not from the book. I mean, Spielberg's whole thing is like, I don't, I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, um, but like, insert a kid into the uh, into the proceedings a little bit. It's like they're easy to identify with, and when you have a grumpy, when you have a grumpy adult kind of get his heart warmed <laughs> by one, like people like that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it works okay. like gangbusters. Yeah, the kids are in the in the book, just not uh, just not that hatred of children. Not that I remember. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny because Jurassic Park was like his biggest movie and he got to do stuff like this. Uh, he also worked with like Harrison Ford and uh, Presumed Innocent. Uh, n- nothing else has really hit like in the terms of like size of role versus like popularity and like the popular culture. But he kept, he's kept working to this day. He's like a little, maybe a little older than us. So he's been in like the social network, G.I. Joe, Retaliation, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, he appeared as Paul Begala in American Crime Story, colon, Impeachment, which is a miniseries I completely forgot existed, but there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I think he's fine. I think he's a good fit for this kind of thing. I think he kind of fits that Spielberg-y kind of wide-eyed wonder. I think he's a large reason why this movie is not that bad. I think if he was more annoying, this could have actually sucked. <laughs> Agreed. I agree with that, Absolutely. Then we have, oh, we have the dad, and that's uh, Richard Gillian plays Roland Griffith. Julie, Julie, hi, it's Roland. Okay. You've been playing in the garbage? No, 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 not you, Tom. Um, It's funny we brought up 24. He was married to Gene Smart uh, since 1987 until his untimely passing away. Untimely. I mean, he wasn't that old, but he died in 2021. Working man actor, maybe never had a signature role, but consistently appeared in notable things. The Waltons, Designing Women, 30-something. He played Captain Stan Cotter in season five, the same season of 24 that uh, uh, Gene Smart kind of got to <laughs> steal the show in. Uh, yeah, list of roles goes on and on and on. I thought this character was okay. I actually kept waiting for them to do something kind of interesting with him. This is the dad, and like he's a workaholic, and he's, uh, he forgot to pick up. Spencer, oops, she'll do better next time. Promises. I mean, I don't know. It was it's okay. Yeah. I agree. This is the one area I do think where um, I think there's a legitimate criticism that there was decent stuff to mine, and they didn't they didn't mine it because he's also like it's not really focused on, but he's grieving the loss of his wife, right? Like, I mean, that's got to be part of it. I assume it's part of it, right? Like, yeah. He's like, He's like distanced himself emotionally from his kids because he, you know, he can't deal with the grief of his wife, and so they don't do fun things like go fishing anymore and stuff like that. But it's, which is unfortunately like a thing people do, but like it'd be, it's yeah. a real thing. Yeah, you're right. It's a real thing that they could have. A real thing. And yeah, and they and they kind of like touch on it, but you, you're right. They don't do anything about it, and then it's like magically fixed at the end of the movie. He just like randomly says, "They got any good fishing places around here?" Like what? <laughs> 
you just saw a freaking alien space. <laughs> like, I, I mean, like all your emotional baggage is fueled. I don't know. It's just like it. It didn't strike true, and what could have been like a really good emotional backbone for the movie is just kind of like, eh. yeah. They set it up. I mean, again, it's all generic, but they do set it up. At least they do like they do the work in the beginning, and then yeah, there's no payoff. And in fact, I kept waiting for them. If I may jump to the next person on the call sheet here. Uh, that's Corrine Borer, who plays Janet Holloway. But you think I'm hallucinating. Oh, I didn't say yes, that. Yes, yes, No, I did yeah. not say that. Yeah, but that. you're thinking it. Look around. Is this a hallucination? No, because if it is, you ought to come to my house and look at the hallucination over there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fastest remodel job in the history of home construction. That's the teacher. I was waiting for them to kind of get together at the end because she was very much like a maternal figure to Spencer, like the whole movie. She's easily like the most prominent female adult in this whole thing. He's single. I didn't see anyone. I, I, I kind of thought like there'd just be like this. They would just like have started like dating or something at the end. The the dad and the teacher, which it maybe in a real world situation could be kind of odd. But like as far as like dramatic catharsis, that that, that would at least have approached something. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm glad they didn't. I thought they were going there too, but at the same time, they didn't do any work for it. Uh, so that's true. Um. By the way, I thought she was okay. Um, she's notable for for me in two reasons. One, she did star on ER, the '80s sitcom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> uh, and two, I don't know if you watched The Grassy at all, but she looks like a grown-up Emma from The Grassy to me. She's not, but she looks like the grown-up version of Emma. Okay, well, that show. <laughs> I, I say, I've seen episodes of it. I couldn't tell you who Emma was. But I don't think it's no, notice, notable that she just looked like somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> the most interesting thing about this actress is she's not someone else. <laughs> but I think she does a fine job. It's not meant to be shade, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's, again, notes are a little light. <laughs> um, but yeah. It's also fun. Well, I mean, the other notable thing I mentioned was that she starred on a show that sounds like the name of another show, too. So even that's, even that's, okay. that's not that great either. <laughs> like, <laughs> True. Um, yeah, I agree with you. She... she was at least warm and she filled the role that, like, I think the movie was trying to solder into really well. And actually, they spent quite a lot of time with her. Like, there's a lot of time, like, in her house and stuff. Like, yeah, she's in it quite a, quite uh, a bit. She is. She has a major role. Um, the voice of Psy, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the name of the suit, because of course that's short for cyber. <laughs> that's Arthur Berghart, his voice. Stand by to receive nourishment. Sounds like a Transformer. That's another thing that this movie felt like to me. This felt like a kind of a Transformers light movie, like somewhere in between like that cartoon that aired the decade before it and then the film series that came after it. Because it's like a suit talking and telling like, there's a galactic war going on, young man, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if his voice kind of sounds like a Transformer, there's a reason for that. He was one. He played Devastator on the... Uh, I believe the original series is not quite my forte, so I couldn't even tell you who Devastator is. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is, I don't know if tra- uh, Transformers is your domain at all, but. Um, no, I never, I never watched it. I wasn't, it was too violent. I, don't, I was not allowed to uh, watch it. So. <laughs> well, violence didn't keep me from watching things. 
Wasn't allowed to watch Mr. Rogers, but I could watch Violent Thing. <laughs> that may we may we may need to have a separate co- uh, podcast <laughs> conversation about what that's supposed to be. <laughs> Um, although for what, for what it's worth my wife Trina also would not have let you watch uh, Mr. Rogers she has a beef with him because she he told her to uh, on the TV show to eat a whole bunch of um, saltwater taffy and how good it is and she tried it and it got stuck to her teeth and she never trusted Mr. Rogers again after that oh. so <laughs> uh, he also uh, voiced yeah, go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. Uh, he also voiced uh, Pete in the uh, kind of goofy Disneyverse. Um, Arthur Burkhart, not Mr. Rogers, of course. Um, does a lot of video game work. He was in Warcraft, World of Warcraft, God of War. Um, really distinctive voice. Um, I wouldn't call it like a unique take on like a robot suit from space, but I thought it fit the bill. Uh, you know, it's, it's yeoman's work. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Psy at all. Yeah, he, he was good. I thought, I thought you know, um, he, uh, he had good timing, I think, with, with the jokes and stuff like that. And he sounded robotic, but still also sounded emotional. You know, he kind of walked that tightrope. I, I thought he did very well. You hit on something I kind of forgot about. There is like a kind of a running joke of like, he misunderstands the things that uh, you know, Spencer's trying to tell him. He goes like, "We gotta, we gotta hit the road." He's like, "Why would we punch the concrete?" That could have gotten really annoying. But you're right. I think they were well timed and well delivered, and it was always kind of charming. Is a little, is a little excessive, but like, it, it could have gotten really irritating, and it never got close to that. And I think that's a real testament. So to both of them, I'd argue because. Um, it helps that uh, Spencer was getting annoyed by it, right? Like, it's less, things in, in my opinion, things in TV shows and movies that should be annoying, but if another character gets annoyed by it, somehow that get, it gets less annoying to the audience. Because at least you have like a surrogate, right? Right. And like you're in on the joke, you're, you're not like sitting there being like, is this supposed to be funny or is this supposed to be annoying? Like, you're. And if you do it right, you can kind of get an extra joke out of, like, the annoyance of, like... Right. There's even a little bit... I, I just keep thinking about other, like, superhero connections. There's also kind of this relationship that, like, MCU Spider-Man has with, like, his suit, where it's, like, activating kill mode. It's like, oh, God, no, don't do that. Like, Right. And, you know, this movie didn't make that up either, right? Like, no. and Terminator 2, famously, it's you know, thing, John... Yeah. Yeah, exact same thing. And so, you know, it's, it's an old trope, but a a solid one when it's done well. Yeah, this is. I was gonna say it's somewhere. I don't, I don't know. This is probably like the, the. If I had to watch, you know, Homecoming, Terminator Two, or Star Kid, Star Kid would be coming in last. But the, you know, it still did. It still did well. It still did good. Uh, Joey Simran, that's Turbo. You are USDA choice dead meat. Uh, the bully you mentioned that was. I think pretty rough on Spencer in the beginning. So, I mean, even though it's a very obvious arc, like I did like that they were friends at the end. I am kind of, a, I'm an easy mark at the end of the day. So as long <laughs> as you can like, just like commit to it, even if it's like, I don't know. I don't even know how earned it is really, but like I, I, I bought it. It was fine. Um, 
probably most known for his role in the 1984's Little Giants. I don't know if you ever saw Little Giants. I loved Little Giants. It's you know what we watched it a couple of years ago as full fledged adults. It holds up. It does. Oh, that's interesting. I think I, I think so. I, I mean, never, you have, you have to accept it. <laughs> you have to accept it as like these are not characters that like exist in reality, right? But no, like, I don't know. But like, it's fine. I don't know. It's, it's, it's Rick Moranis, Ed O'Neill do like do their thing. Yeah, it's fun. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll show it to my daughter someday. I think she'd or like son. it. Yeah. Or son, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I think they would. I think they both get a kick out of it. I know in the context of this, um, I know what you mean, but it almost sounds like you forgot you had a son or something. It's like, <laughs> oh, and the boy. <laughs> the context is he's not born yet. So yeah, it's, right, exactly. Quite, yeah. quite a ways away from showing him a movie film. But <laughs> so you sit him down, watch <laughs> Little Giants and Star Kid. Um, <laughs> Right out of the womb, just boom. That's right, boom. It's like no time. Don't yeah. Give him the don't. iPad. Or you can cut the umbilical cord. Like, <laughs> you can cut the umbilical cord with the iPad. It's just kind of <laughs> like Fruit Ninja or something. Um, he also did a little stint as the voice of Young Dick Grayson in Batman: The Animated Series. Try to like find little connections to other entries of our of our series here. Um, you know, this is sort of a tangent. Just kind of a one, two, three between him doing young Robin and the animated series and to him not appearing at all in the uh, mask of the phantasm, but it's there. No, I thought, he, I thought he was fine. I don't know if I have much in the way of thoughts about him. I thought he played, I think he was probably more convincing as like a softened young man at the end. As they did like the bully at the beginning, he didn't seem all that menacing outside of he's bigger than Spencer by a little bit, but you know, it was fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's just, it was so cliche. Even if it was, it was competent, competently done. I mean, they spent their time on it. They, they tried to earn it. But at the end of the day, I just, I couldn't get behind. I couldn't get behind it. I get it. I get it. I think sometimes, like, it's hard because, like, the most effective school bullies in, like, movies are the ones that are just, like, unrepentant, like, stand by me and stuff and, like, it. But, uh, yeah, just actual scumbags. And they never, that wasn't the intent here at all. No. And the last cast note I have, I only bring him up because he's uh-huh. probably, the, he's probably the one person everyone's going to recognize from this. That's, of course, uh, Danny Matthews. He's definitely the, the most famous one, I think. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I mentioned him. He's Kevin. That's the, the, his, Spencer's sister's girlfriend. Um, I didn't even mention. The actual sister, sister Stacy <laughs> Griffith, Ashley Le- Ashley Levitch, because I can't babysit the little scab juice tonight. She, uh, she doesn't have a Wikipedia page. She probably has an IMDb page, and I can pull something together. Again, that's another perfect example of like kind of an irritating character that's being done exactly as it should be. I thought the sister was annoying, but I thought she did a good job playing an annoying sister. Yep. Um, one thing, one thing that helped they didn't they didn't go too over the top with it. In the sense of like, she like, she was like, I can't go out because I'd get in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. really, this is a character that did have some boundaries. Whereas I feel like a, a lot of times older sisters or older siblings are just like out of fucking control. Yes. Or like, yeah, or like they're just like being, they're, they're there to like block the main character from doing something. But she was at least in the realm of 
something kind of reasonable. <laughs> like, right, yeah. So I appreciated that. But yeah, her boyfriend is Kevin. He's played by Danny Masterson. Um, this is home all by himself. He's just a little kid. What could happen? Um, <laughs> he also is the rare um, troubled actor that we've talked about in this series where I don't really feel all that bad about slandering him on here um, <laughs> because <laughs> he's been convicted in a court of law. So that's good enough. True, for me. He, has, um, he has. So he, he's he seems hard, obviously guilty, uh, but yep. who knows? You know. I guess, well, I, in the sense that we can never really know, um, I feel yeah. more comfortable than like other people where from kind of like the Elmo guy does a good job in, in Turtles, but like it's complicated. But here it's like, uh, I, it's, he's not, he's not so good that I feel like any sort of remorse here. So, like, no, he's fine in this. He was fine in the 70s show. Uh, and he is I probably going to go to hell. Was, <laughs> yes. I mean, I thought he was funny in that 70s show, but, um, you know, he did something yeah. awful. Yep. If you know, you know. If you don't, we don't talk about it. But he's um, yeah. guilty, and he's saying for his action. I, I, I will mention he did have a before his troubles, maybe during his troubles. I don't know. He uh, had a several DJ names. I'm gonna read off a couple of them, and then oh, yeah. oh no, I didn't know those. Okay, yeah. Uh, DJ Donkey Punch. Oh. DJ Donkey Pizzle. Hmm. What? And uh, Donkey Punch and Donkey Pizzle and a uh, DJ Mom Jeans. DJ Mom Jean. I'm just trying to do hard on that one. Yeah. Uh, so you know, even if the, even if his legal troubles hadn't happened, I would I would have been fine canceling him on, on those grounds alone. Um, yeah. So there you go. Uh, that's those are our cast notes. I don't want to end on too much of a downer. Um, yeah, I guess we can just transition nice and easy into our superlatives, which is how yeah, we typically it. end these episodes. We give out a few awards. Uh, we have kind of these spaces in order to uh, capture things maybe we didn't talk about in the general discussion. I, I, I cannot imagine there'd be anything we didn't talk about, but you never know. Uh, yeah, we give out you know, best moment, worst moment, things you wouldn't see today. And of course, the much treasured MVP trophy. <laughs> Why don't we start with let's just start with a fun one. Best use of superpowers. Jimmy, what do you have? So best use of powers is I like I like the robot's gun. I'm gonna throw that one out there. Oh yeah, it's a good gun. Yeah. Got three barrels, if I remember correctly, and he was he was willing to take out any mascot he saw. Oh yeah, he was ready to yeah. He was about to like uh, he's about to really wreak havoc at that carnival. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I don't know if this really counts as a superpower. No, it's super strength. So I'm going to give it. Yeah. Spencer using Psy to like exact revenge on Turbo. Um, and just to kind of set the scene, um, I guess his dad's like a mechanic, right? And like Turbo's just kind of hanging out at the mechanic shop, like inside a car. And Star Kid comes over and like just kind of lifts up the car and just like starts spinning it around, like just spinning it around and around and around and around and around. <laughs> it was just so petty and so for like a moment anti what these movies typically are that I just I found it really funny. And oh, I think that, <laughs> I, I, I think if I was being pushed around and I found like a a spacesuit or an alien spacesuit, even to boot. That's probably what I would do to the person tormenting me. I'd probably just like make him throw up. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about right. Yeah. In real life, you may have gotten even a little farther than that, but that, and then you don't have a superhero movie, so. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> Kills him, he goes to jail or something. That would be a much darker <laughs> movie, yeah. It's a moment you wouldn't see today. This one's kind of a layup because I think that the movie itself would be pretty. I think this is pretty much a one to one. I don't think there's anything content wise they would change. But the uh, but the suit and the uh, aliens would be CGI instead of like these weird kind of rubbery, tangible things. I did like that about it too. They didn't they didn't skimp on. I mean they look they look rubbery and cheap, but like in a fun tactile way. They would have CGI'd that in a second. So. Uh, my answer for this was Danny Ma- uh, Danny Masterson. So. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is the answer. No, yeah, <laughs> that's number one on the board. <laughs> um, best line. Yeah, not, maybe not a dialogue-driven movie per se, but we try our best. What do you have for best line? All right, give me a second. Yeah. I'm going to paraphrase instead of okay. actually quoting it. That's fine. <laughs> but it was a scene early on in the movie that kind of set, basically set the, you know, it told the audience the, um, the moral of the story, right? It's that scene, you know, uh, Spencer is in class and his crush goes and talks to him and the dude just like freezes and can't say shit. And so in the, the teacher, what was her name again? Um, oh, yeah. Her name is, um, I guess, probably Mrs. Holloway. The character's Mrs. name Holloway. is Jane okay. Holloway. Yeah. yeah, so Mrs. Holloway uh, was like, hey, Spence, can you help me out with this? And it's like a spider. And she goes on and talking about, like, how she used to be super scared of spiders. And so her dad made her, like, hold one. Like, he bought her a spider and told her she had to feed it every day or it would die. And so she fed it every day but was terrified. Eventually, she got over her fear of spiders, and there she was like holding a huge tarantula. And she says something to the fact of, like, you know, you've got to confront your fears because if you don't, it's only going to make the fear bigger and more difficult to conquer later on. I used to be scared to death of spiders. Hold still now. Wow. Yeah, I almost fainted once when a little garden spider crawled into my bedroom. Wow. Yeah, I told my dad about it. You know what he did? Uh Uh-uh. He bought me a tarantula just like Leo G there. Stay. He knew I'd have to change my tarantula's water, and that meant sticking my hand in the terrarium. If I didn't give him water, the tarantula would die. My dad figured I couldn't let that happen even to a spider. He was right. I stuck my hand in that terrarium. Oh, that first time. Oh, man, I was so scared. But you know what? It got easier pretty soon. I wasn't even scared anymore. In fact, I got so into spiders. I started studying about them, and I found science, and, and I became the world's greatest science teacher. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Okay. There you go, Leo G. Good as new. The point is, if you run away from the things you're scared of, it doesn't get any better. The fear doesn't go away. In fact, it just gets worse. Trust me. It kind of doesn't matter, you know, whether it's bullies or spiders or girls. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of a, kind of the, I think the, the, 
moral of the story, right? Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think if it had a purpose statement, it would probably be that. Whether yeah. the movie, whether the movie like lives up to like really dramatizing that, it's probably up for debate. But I think it's a well written little speech too, because it's true. Yeah. Kind of cuts to the heart of that. My, I, I had a runner up um, that kind of comes after my best use of superpowers. Where you know, uh, Spencer's kind of all—he's all smiles now that he uh, gave Turbo the business, and he, he says to the suit, "Like, who else can we abuse?" Let's see. Who else should I abuse? So that was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but my actual best line comes from they're at Mrs. Holloway's house. Maybe it's Ms. Holloway, but um, regardless. And then in come the the dreaded brood warriors who they kind of set up as like this threat, right? And they finally bust in and start like shooting everything and they're all, they're all trying to like grab the suit and mess with Spencer. And he has to test himself, why is everyone trying to beat me up? <laughs> Why does everyone want to beat me up? I thought that was funny. That's yeah, there were, one line. <laughs> the dialogue wasn't terrible in this movie, actually. Most of it wasn't particularly remarkable, but it was like writing good dialogue is hard, and so like it was, it was surprisingly solid for what the movie was. Agreed. I think unremarkable is a good word for it, which is not the same thing as bad. We've seen yeah. bad dialogue. We've seen bad. <laughs> The Ice Age. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's go worst moment, then best moment. Um, worst moment. I think I alluded to it before, but every time the movie had to sit down and like do exposition, like right at the top, there was like a whole scene about like the war between like the brood warriors and the whatever's they are. And uh Right in the middle, too, like, Sai kind of stops everything and kind of explains, like, the Brood Warriors are coming to town, young Spencer, or whatever. And it's just... It's boring. I think there are ways to uh, kind of uh, bake those things into actual action, and the movie just didn't go that direction. One year ago, a powerful Brood Warrior invasion force attacked the planet Trelkos. Trelkans, a tiny, peaceful race, fought bravely, but they were no match for their ruthless enemies. They soon faced extinction. I do have a runner-up, if you want to hear that as well. Sure. Uh, there's a scene where, like, he's trying, he's in the suit, and he's, like, at his home, and he's trying to get, like, a drink out of, like, the fridge and like the fridge mm-hmm. door breaks off and then all the he drops all this stuff and like everything in the kitchen's getting a mess and like i think this made me speak to its effectiveness but it just like stressed me out the whole thing <laughs> I, I don't i don't like scenes i don't like scenes where like a phone is ringing like 25 times in a row and no one's picking it up i don't like scenes where like messes are created and like no one can do anything to stop it and they're gonna get in trouble i don't know stuff like that just like <laughs> makes my stomach hurt and it was, so it was more anxiety inducing than laugh inducing Whoops. Look at that. Ow! Oh, this doesn't feel right. Hey, hello, you turn. What's going on? I can't see. What's happening? You are checking out the fridge. Ow! Couldn't really call it the worst moment because that's not really like, that's a me problem, not the movie's problem, but it happened nonetheless. I know. I didn't like that scene either. And I think, I think. You know, maybe your reaction speaks to you. It doesn't necessarily make me anxious. Maybe a little anxious, I think. 
And I think that speaks to maybe one situation where we call this movie otherwise confident, but that kind of slapstick humor, I don't think it was confident. You know, it did have that kind of slapstick humor with the turbo scene and, and that scene was fine, but um, it didn't land it here. And slapstick is hard to do. Oh, sure. I mean, um, we, review, we reviewed Superman 3. I think we know that right. very well. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not easy. Oh, well, and of course, Superman 3 also had tone issues more than just slapstick, I'd argue. But um, yeah, so this is a situation where he was trying to go for some slapstick comedy, but it just didn't land. It wasn't that funny. And mostly you just kind of like, you were kind of left feeling like kind of pissed off. Yeah, I could just like... <laughs> I got like annoyed for him, or maybe at yeah. him. I don't know what it is. I was, I was like, annoyed at him. Like, it's like, just back up and stop. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> exactly. He's like, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it didn't necessarily make sense. I mean, he'd been in the suit for a while. He should have like been able to not yeah. make sense. I mean, breaking one or two things, like, okay, yeah, you're still getting used to it. But like, trashing the whole freaking house, it, it, <laughs> no, it, it didn't land. It didn't work. Yeah, maybe you're onto something. Maybe it needed to come like way earlier too. Like it's like the first time in the suit, and he's like, you know, kind of like Captain America on the juice for the first time, and he's like breaking through like walls and stuff. And he's like, ah, oops, sorry. I mean, that kind of as opposed to like if that happened like three quarters of the way into Captain America, you'd be like, what, what, <laughs> what is this? Um, what was your worst moment? I didn't really go for the pee joke. Like it wasn't like, good. Yeah, it wasn't good. Especially like like the I guess the real punchline of it when he's going pee and it's like taking forever and it's oh. like the camera's like focusing on Ms. Holloway's face and she's like kind of disgusted listening to him pee. Like it was like I didn't I didn't think it was funny. I, I thought no. it was awkward and and like why would uh, you have that reaction? It's just, it's, yeah. <laughs> the second door on the right. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, no, that it, was my worst moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's no that that's an excellent moment. It made no sense at all, <laughs> and uh, a waste of everyone's time. Not a waste of our time. Are our best moments. Um, Jimmy, what did you have for your best moment of Star Kid? You know, so one thing I do think was largely missing. We kind of talked about this when it came to like them not landing the emotional backbone of the movie between Spencer and his father. But one emotional scene that did get me was when Sai accessed Spencer's memory and gave him like a happy day with his family and his mother as they were going fishing. That got me. I was like, actually teared up a little bit. I was like, shit, I didn't think the movie was going to make me like, and then it never did it again. But um, <laughs> I, I, I felt that scene and I thought it was, I thought that was tastefully done and well done. Yeah, agreed. Um, it, I think, again, it kind of cuts to like, that's something that like a Spielberg 80s thing would have done effortlessly. 
and like here it's like oh my god like they they kind of they kind of went for it and in a movie that wasn't super um into taking risks i mean not that like showing you know emotional scenes is a risk but it can be because you have to be sincerity can be difficult and you know being sarcastic can be uh, very easy so i think i think it yeah that was a really good scene I'm not sure why I picked this as my best moment. I just know that I, it's the moment where I felt like this movie is really clicking and like maybe there's we had like an underrated sleeper on our hands. And it's just that whole sequence at, at the carnival. Um, that was it. The Whoa, that's nasty. Whoa. They're supposed to make you dizzy. Not sure what it is. Maybe it's like that late summer vibes that kind of made me kind of like nostalgic for something that like I mean I never experienced quite this but like it kind of picked up on a vibe I don't know if it's like the movie it's like the suit was like it was like fun I don't know if like all the kind of back and forth about like you know uh, insufficient data kind of like stuff and him trying to like kill the mascots and stuff I don't know for some reason like something about it was really working and um, it never really got back to that that feeling in my chest so um not sure what happened there, but uh, maybe maybe too many rude warriors. But I don't know. I felt like this was like something like it, it felt sustainable. Of like, oh, here's a kid like in a normal environment trying to like keep this like this insane secret and uh, trying to get anybody killed. I don't know. <laughs> it just really worked. Yeah, um, I agree. That was a good sequence. Um, yeah, there were there were times early on when I, I too was like, well, maybe this is gonna be a pretty good movie, and then it kind of didn't. It wouldn't surprise me if that sequence was like the germ of the idea for the movie like Manny Cotto was like had this idea of like a really shy kid hiding in a suit at like a carnival that he's too afraid to go to <sighs> and and that's where like the, the idea of the movie came from and he was unable to really build a great story around it I think you're onto something there, Jimmy. I really do. And another thing that I think is like, I feel like if Comic Con was at the level that it was at in 1997, like it would be in 2007, like I you almost feel like this is like, if there's like a Star Kid panel, like this might have been the scene that they would show to like get people like excited or something. And then like maybe a couple things of like the Brood Warriors really quickly, like shooting off guns. But like, I feel like this is almost like the, the movie's like best foot forward or something. And maybe you're right. Maybe it just was the initial idea because there's a strong metaphor there that I, I frankly didn't even pick up on. So that was really good. Yeah. And I do think he's trying to make a metaphor with the suit. How well he lands it um, is... Yeah. yeah. It's modeled, but I, I, yeah. again, there's more than... Steel went for nothing. Like, so, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'll, take, I'll, I'll, I'll take trying. <laughs> Fair enough. Even if it's like not anywhere near good enough, I'll, I, I will. I I can respect the attempt. So mm-hmm. MVP, what do you got? Wait, no, who do I got? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I talked about it a little bit, and I don't know if I sounded like I was sincere when I said it, um, but I, I kind of was. I think Nicholas Pike's score does a pretty good job at connoting that 80s Amblin vibes I think the movie was trying to go for. You know, it's not remarkable in and of itself. No one, no one's going to be, like, playing the Star Kid, like, score at, like, the Hollywood Bowl or anything. But I think it 
a lot of like the, like the twinkling piano and like kind of like string stuff gives the movie heart where maybe it isn't there on the actual screen, which is kind of like the goal, right? And like mm-hmm. wasn't, there wasn't like an outstanding performance. Like, everyone was fine. I mean, we just we said everyone was fine for like except for Danny Masterson. Um, <laughs> everyone did everyone did fine. And, and honestly, like. He, he, he was, did fine. His performance was fine in this movie. Like he, he's, he's, he's he a played, scummy boyfriend. He played, uh, yeah. yeah, he played the same character he did on that seventy show, basically. But. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think when I think about like what what elements really made me feel like this is sort of something, I kind of went with that. But there are, there are some sneaky good candidates here somewhere, and I'm curious to know who you might have gone with here. But for me, Nicholas Pike, the uh, uh, composer. So that's that's a good choice. I hadn't really considered the music very much, if I'm being honest. Which and that's okay. I guess it's odd because last week the music really captured me. Um, but yeah, but he did have a very good score. I agree. Um, but I ended up going with Manny Cotto for this one, that's just solid. because you know the movie. This this is his movie, right? Like everyone in the movie feels like they're in the, the same basic level of like good but not great. You know, uh-huh. um, yeah, right. And, and I feel like the, the virtues and vices of this movie largely fall on Manny Koto. But I thought it was solidly, I thought it was, his directing, I think, was better than his writing in this movie. Um, you know, it was easy, easy to watch. Easy, the action was easy to follow, which isn't, you know, necessarily an intuitive thing to do. He went, you know, he, he made the, like, the close-up scenes of their faces, like Sai and Spencer, accessible without feeling claustrophobic like like there's a lot where even with the same exact script script a lesser director would have screwed up different things and of course it wasn't perfect his plastic could have been better the plastic scenes you know it wasn't like a two or a fourth of directing but he ultimately i think this movie is just it's his baby and so he's got to be the mvp for it i think that's fair and you know i don't think the movie is anywhere near good enough to call it like a work of auteurship. I mean, that's just ridiculous, <laughs> but there is something to be said about a guy who kind of like had original vision, uh, wrote it, directed it himself. Um, I mean, I'm, he, he probably had collaborators, but he gets, he gets the uh, credit for both directing and writing. And it's only studio mandated in the sense of like a, a studio is like, we want like a family movie. That's kind of, but it's not like we need, we need you to make the metal man movie or something. Like they're just like, what do you got? And I, there's something to admire in that. It's just been one of the last times we kind of review one of these uh, on this series. Uh, you know, some surprises that we've forgotten about, notwithstanding. But it's admirable. It's almost, it, it makes it feel like it's from a faraway time, even though the movie feels pretty modern compared to other things we've done. Um, and that's it. Those are all our awards. Uh, we do have to review this ourselves. We opened with a professional reviewer. And, you know, you know two and a half out of four. It's not bad. What are we going to give it out of ten? And ten what? We're going to determine uh, live on the air, as they say. <laughs> uh, why don't you watch it? Yeah, okay. I think it's your turn. Yeah. I, uh, I give five brood warriors out of ten. It's perfectly average. You know what? I, we are simpatico, my friend. I think five out of ten. This is like this is like what this is like what the average is, right? Like this is like at the end of the day, like if you like put all the movies ever made into like a line, <laughs> this would be like right there, like on the, in the middle of the chart. 
<laughs> you know, so yeah, five out of ten Brood Warriors. Uh, I agree. <laughs> the good news is, you know, 1997 was kind of a interesting up and down year, but mostly down. Okay. yeah, mostly down. <laughs> But there is light at the end of the tunnel, which is interesting because a lot of the characters in this movie can't be in light at all. They must stay in the shadows. Um, 1998's Blade, kind of one of, I'd say like three movies from like the, the turn of the millennium that kind of changed everything. Uh, Blade is, I think, the first kind of salvo into like this rejuvenation of the superhero genre. And we get to review it next week. We finally get to talk about it. After all yeah, this time, before the, uh, before the remake that I don't think is ever going to get made. but um, <laughs> well, They've got a cast. They, yeah, all they need is a cast, a script, and a director, and they've got it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question just out mm-hmm. of um, obligation, uh, even though I think I know the answer. Have you ever seen Blade? I have seen Blade. I love this movie. There's a long time yeah. I've seen it. So It's 25 years this year i cannot believe that that sounds like an astronomical amount of time it doesn't sound right but yeah i love blade too it's gonna be a treat to uh watch it again but i'll have to wait until next week uh if you like what you heard uh we're doing star kid and how could you not you should check out our archives uh we can be found on spotify and apple podcasts uh we have our full archive of uh basically every american major superhero release since before Star Kid, we go all the way back to the 30s, my friends. Uh, the superhero serials, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Superman, Batman, uh, Swamp Thing, uh, anything you could think of from the 70s, 80s, and uh, up to Star Kid 1997. Um, we've reviewed it. If superheroes aren't your thing, Jimmy's alluded to it before on this episode, we are also working our way through classic Doctor Who. We will be picking up our coverage of classic Doctor Who season five. We're continuing our second Doctor era. Um, so uh, you can check out those episodes if you want. And we also just got done reviewing a bunch of Universal Monster movies. Uh, that's our second batch of Universal Monster movies. We've done the classics. We've done a lot of the sequels. So we got something for everybody. You can check us out on our Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at PC Historians. And finally, you can check out our website. Pop culture historians podcast.wordpress.com. Life lesson. Oh, I, 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 perfect life lesson. If you're being bullied, stand up to your bully. He may just become your friend. <laughs> Engage in a life and death situation with him for the fate of humanity. Yeah, get into a weapon. Yeah, get, yeah, get into a weaponized suit. Toss him around a little bit. It may pay off when uh, the earth hangs in your hands. You never know. <laughs> I do. Oh, I do have one more thing I wanted to say. I, I'm sorry. Over, overtime though. segment. I like it. I overtime. Like it. Okay. One thing I did like about the movie, which I didn't mention before, I did like that Spencer had to defeat the Brood Warrior, a with the help of his new friend Bully. Um, <laughs> B without the suit. 
I know it seems yes. like an obvious thing, but like I feel like so many movies would have just turned into, a, and of course they did have the fight with the suit, but they would have had him defeat the brood warrior in the suit. And I think it's, it was much more satisfying, at least from a dramatic and thematic standpoint, to have Spencer defeat the brood warrior using cunning and without the suit. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's like, uh, it's something that the MCU Spider-Man movies kind of play with, but they kind of waffle and go back and forth on. Sometimes it's it's better to, you know, you got to prove you can fight without the suit. And sometimes it's like, put the suit on, baby. Let's kick some ass. So it's kind of nice to see that kind of done in a one-to-one kind of tight fashion. I completely agree. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you, you, you can listen to our show with or without the suit. It makes no difference at all. So <laughs> do whatever you want. Uh, all right. Next week, Blade. Uh, we'll catch you all then. Until that time, my name is Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane. We are the Pop Culture Historians. Catch you next week.